Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festivities festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Uh, I've got a great guest for you in this episode, Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. Dr. Bakhtari, thanks for being with us today. Earl, thanks for having me. What an honor. Oh, I'm looking forward to this conversation and and audience. What I want you to know is uh, Dr. Bakhtari is a healthcare CEO, a vaccine and COVID-19 expert, and a physician with specialties in internal, pulmonary, and critical care medicine. He and his team at E7 Health specialize in preventative medicine, vaccinations, and testing for viruses. In short, Dr. Bakhtari offers the inside scoop on healthcare. He's been featured in Martha Stewart, Forbes, and Washington Post, just to name a few. So with that background, and and I'm really excited because I've had a lot of medical professionals on recently, and I've always enjoyed uh, the the answers that they've given to this question. I'm really looking forward to hear what you have to say, Dr. Bakhtari. When you hear the phrase responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? You know, obviously it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but, you know, when I look at it from my position, I think the question really is when you're a leader, uh, are you not only moving the ball forward for your organization, but are you moving the ball forward for your staff and colleagues and and people in your organization? So uh, I think responsible leadership obviously means moving the ball forward for your company economically and terms of growth. Uh, But simultaneously, you have to be uh, involved in growing in multiple dimensions, everyone in the organization. So uh, I think that is what responsible leadership means to me. It means 
that you wake up in the morning and you're trying to move the ball forward for everyone in the organization. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and so let's let's talk a little bit about like this this kind of commercial health entrepreneur space because it it seems like and correct me if I'm wrong but it seems like health entrepreneurship uh, especially kind of like the way that we saw in COVID is it as new of a art form as it seems to be or has it been around for a while? You know, I, I think medical people, just because they're often very so focused on, you know, their their careers, uh, you know, often struggle with, you know, the entrepreneurship, entrepreneur side of, of healthcare because a lot of people literally, you know, devote a lot of training. And then once they get there, a lot of their time, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. So entrepreneurship, it's not that... Uh, it's difficult. It's just I think a lot of people in the, the space are so focused on their on the career that uh, it becomes challenging to have an entrepreneur side of your career. So I think and and I t- as I talk to my colleagues, I think uh, the ones that have been able to make the transition well have been able to figure that out and say yes, you know what, I'm going to focus on the career and meaning meaning the healthcare side, but I'm also going to focus on this other side uh, to grow my idea, grow my company, uh, take things in a new direction. Yeah. Cause I, I, you know, I see this a lot with, with entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that, that have, you know, a really deep seated kind of noble purpose. And I think anybody that gets in the medical profession probably has, has that same, uh, that, that same noble purpose behind it. Right. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe some people get in it to, for the money, but you mm-hmm. hear all these stories of, you know, I knew somebody, a family member who had cancer and I wanted to get into oncology right. because I wanted to cure cancer or, or I just wanted to help people or I wanted to cure this disease, right? They have this noble purpose. And mm-hmm. so the idea of turning this into a business and making money and, and being a capitalist uh, it almost uh, seems kind of sacrilegious at times, right? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's just I think what you're referring to, to without getting melodramatic is, you know, a lot of people go into healthcare because they think it's a calling, you know, calling from God, calling from, you know, somewhere where they they're drawn into it, like you said, because of experiences or it's just they want to do good things. Um, and I think people who have that perspective, uh, you know, often may look at, like you said, capitalism and and the entrepreneurship as dis- detracting from that calling. You, you know, I did a podcast uh, on my show about, you know, uh, you know, leaving clinical medicine and doing this. And one of the things that I mentioned in that podcast was that uh, for people who want to help people, and that's why they're in healthcare, there are other ways to help people. I'm not saying one is better or worse or whatever, but, you know, uh, when you're practicing clinical medicine, you can really make a huge difference in people's lives. I mean, just getting someone to stop smoking, losing weight, you, you're basically saving their life. There is nothing better than that. Uh, so I think that's the draw for a lot of us, that we can actually have an impact. The flip side of it is you're only doing one person at a time. If you can 
you know, start something else or do something else that can help hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Um, I, they're both equally amazing. And I think that's the way to look at it. So for, uh, for all the people, myself included, who, you know, saw one patient at a time day after day and the joy and, and, and the feeling you get from helping those people is you can't measure it. Uh, so if and when you do do something else that involves doing things that might impact people uh, on a more broad basis, there's, there's also value in that. So I think they're both equally valuable and should be equally rewarding. Yeah, no, I, and I 100% agree. And, and kind of the reason why I, I wanted to kind of take you down that path, and I, I love that response there is, you know, because uh, being a veteran, we, we have a lot of entrepreneurship coming out of the, the veteran ranks. And, and again, a lot of it has that similar kind of noble purpose. You know, I want to sell this T-shirt because I want to raise money to help mm-hmm. provide service dogs. Or I want to sell mm-hmm. this bracelet because I want to help raise money uh, you know, for mental health awareness or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they, 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 they have that same kind of internal conflict of, okay, I want to raise money to help this cause, but I don't want to raise too much money and be the, the filthy capitalist. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, the more money you raise, the more good you can do, right? You know, so it's, it's that balancing act like you were talking about, right? Right, right. I think, I think it, you have to kind of understand that there are, ways to help people there in ways in ways that impact lots of people simultaneously and there's nothing wrong with starting an organization that you know has that as their focus to help people and if you can be a force to move that forward then uh, i think that could be equally rewarding well, let me ask you this. So using yourself kind of here as an example, what was that catalyst moment for you that, that got you to kind of, because uh, if I'm reading your bio, right, you were kind of more in, in private practice and, and got involved in, in that in the beginning and then decided to kind of make the move into more uh, the entrepreneurship route. So what was the catalyst that got you to kind of make that jump? Um, you know, it was sort of a transition based on uh, sort of a thousand cuts, uh, as the phrase goes. But in this in this sense, because it was always one door opening up another, you know, getting on a committee, which then opened the door for, you know, another position, which opened the door for another position. And so I think, yes, once I was practicing clinical medicine and then, you know, literally got onto a committee and that, you know, that experience helped open up another experience. And, um, you know, next thing, you know, I was being, you know, offered uh, to be directors of hospitals and insurance companies and what have you, and, and also a clinical professor in, in uh, several medical schools. So I think those experiences, one door opened for another. And this is what I try to tell people, you know, like um, a lot of people say, well, you know, I want a career change. I want to just stop being a lawyer, stop being a doctor or whatever it is. And um, it's never a lightning bolt that does it. You know, it's a thousand little interactions and experiences over years. Uh, And I think that's a healthy way of doing it. I I think, you know, because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're not going to like. You don't know what you have an affinity to. Um, You know, there's plenty of people who, for example, practice clinical medicine who wouldn't leave it for the whole world. That's just, they enjoy it so immensely that nothing could surpass it. And I, I get that and I respect that. And there, uh, I think with me, 
Um, I think, you know, I, you know, I, I love pizza and I love pasta. You know, it's, it's not like I have to have both every day. And so it, often it's not that one is better, clinical is better, you know, administrative and entrepreneurship is better. It's, it's simply a different skill set, different interaction. So I think to answer your question, though, it was literally, you know, one door opening another. But you have to be ready for that first door. And then you have to also be ready when that second door opens. And you have to be prepared and emotionally ready to keep, you know, going. So for, for me, it was not a one you know, minute, you know, um, epiphany where I just said, aha, but it was doing this and then saying, okay, th- that was really good. I got some skill sets from that and that was fun. What's the next thing? Mm. And, and you're right. I think that is how it happens uh, more often than not. Like if, if, if folks are really paying attention, uh, they, they realize like their, their lines have been steered. That's been focused by these little things that have happened. And that's why, always love it when people, you know, whether I'm in a, you know, some kind of uh, seminar retreat, whatever it is. And they ask this, like, what is the thing that you would change in your life? And I'm mm-hmm. always the first person, like, I wouldn't change anything, <laughs> you know, because I don't know which one of those things, if I change it would have thrown me so right. far off course, I wouldn't be here right now. Right. You know? well, to, well, to add to that, you have to, but when those opportunities present itself, you do have to be ready to take right. it because you know, um, I, I know like, you know, if you're not, if your antennas aren't up and you're having you know dinner with someone and they mention uh, about this opportunity, potentially, if you're, you know, if you're, if your antenna is not up, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's great. Uh, well, you know, what'd you think of the football game? And you just move on. But when your antenna is up for new opportunities, uh, and I'm not saying you take every one, but you can filter different ones by listening and taking in opportunities that are you know sort of skating past you so i think um i think you know people say well how you know how come no one ever gave me these opportunities i think part of it is you if you're not ready for them if you're just so you have blinders on and in terms of your own career and you, you you couldn't imagine doing anything else well you're probably not going to do anything else. And so I think it's, it's twofold. I think it's, you know, being ready for the opportunities. And then when their opportunities present themselves, you jump on them. Yeah. No, well said, well said. Um, so let's talk about this for a second, because we kind of mentioned uh, a little bit E7 health. What, what mm-hmm. is E7 health? What is it that you all do? So E7 Health is an organization we started back in 2009. And what we initially uh, kind of figured out is um, there really wasn't an organization in the country that was focused on preventative health. Uh, There's a statistic that hit me over the head from the CDC that there's close to 50,000 vaccine preventable deaths in the United States. And this is pre-COVID. Um, so, and this is mainly in adults. And so we realized that preventative health and wellness was an area that very few people focus on. If they did focus on it, they also did primary care and urgent care. And so this preventative health was sort of like a side hustle. And what we decided back in 2009 is, you know, what happens if we make adult vaccination and preventative health 
not our side hustle, but our main hustle, if I can use that term. And so we started an organization and then we wrote tons of technology. Uh, you know, we have two locations in Las Vegas and we we're, uh, just la- launched a national website uh, actually a couple of weeks ago, and we're hoping to expand brick and mortar. But we built a lot of software and technology um, to support the organization. Uh, we won an award in 2019 for uh, the best healthcare technology company. Um, uh, and part of that came from our innovative software and technology, which makes the interaction for the patients, our staff, almost seamless. It's sort of like an Amazon experience when you're dealing with us or when my staff is working with the software or the technology. So we wrote a whole platform. So the goal was then to leverage technology to make preventative health and wellness easy for people to deal with. Um, No, you know, being a clipboard, getting a clipboard when you walk into the office, no, uh, you know, having to call a phone line with five different prompts on it, you know, just really just smooth technology, just like you order from Amazon. A couple of clicks and you're there. You want to look up anything you ordered a year ago. A couple of clicks and you're there. Phone, cell phone, I mean, um, your computer, wherever, whatever, uh, you get access to everything. And that, I thought, hadn't been done before, at least not to that level. Um, and then we thought we could really make a dent in preventive health and wellness nationwide if we could leverage this technology. Yeah. So wow. we, we actually became a technology company. It's so funny. I tell people we're really a technology company masquerading as a healthcare company. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I mean, and I think that's an important distinction, right? Because I, I used to love how uh, uh, Tony Shea would talk about Zappos. And, uh, you know, a lot of people would saw Zappos as a, as a shoe company. Mm -hmm. Uh, that provided great customer service. And he would always say, no, we're a great customer service company that sells shoes. Right. And, and so I I like that, that you make that distinction, but I was just sitting there like, uh, I, I'm, I was just kind of drooling. I'm like, that sounds like a lovely experience Mm -hmm. that you described there because, uh, you know, as you know, because we had some scheduling issues and some of my, uh, listeners have been paying attention though. I just, you know, recently, uh, had carpal tunnel release surgery and, and, um, I was thinking about going through and filling out all those forms and having mm-hmm. to, you know, shade, like, where does the, you know, the, is, right. is this a throb? Is this an ache? Is this a pain? Mm-hmm. Am I putting dash lines or dotted lines? And it was like, man, this is such a, such a hassle. Like what you described, I was like, wow, that sounds like such a fun experience. <laughs> well, which is funny because I, I mean, uh, I get this question, I'll, probably the number one question I get, uh, I'm almost every media that I'm interviewed or any show I'm on is, you know, hey, isn't healthcare technology amazing? And honestly, from from where we sit, I don't think so, because, you know, uh, for all the electronic health records and the billions and billions of dollars that Medicare has spent, you know, forcing doctors to, you know, get electronic and, and still people are given a clipboard when they walk in. So obviously it's not there. You know, I mean, anytime, you know, Amazon doesn't give you a clipboard. Who gives you a clipboard except healthcare people? And I think that's really a function that we're not there yet. 
Well, and and so, and, and I'm sure you can appreciate this with what you just said, but I always thought that the irony of this whole thing was during COVID, if you had to go through a doctor's visit, they're telling us don't touch, don't share, but everybody's sharing clipboards, everybody's sharing pens, and the poor, uh, you know, nurses behind the nurse's counter are having to disinfect and, and wipe down these pens every single time and all that, whereas if you had the app on your phone or whatever, you could have done all this on your own and, you know, mm-hmm. lowered the risk of sharing, you know, uh, you know, sharing disease and, and, and that sort of stuff. So what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, I'd love it. So, and, and just, you know, looking at, at some of the stuff here, I mean, it sounds like what you're doing has, has been a resounding success. Yeah, we are, are tech, you know, uh, we actually just, if you go on e7health.com and just read our reviews or just go on Google and read our reviews. I mean, and again, I, I think our reviews is a, is a, is a function of how, uh, our, our patients and clients love the technology and our staff. Um, and, you know, I think we have 10,000 positive reviews on our website from a third party uh, just in the last three years. That alone speaks volumes about how surprised people are when they touch our technology. And, of course, my staff and our staff and the amazing people who work there. So I think when you, uh, you know, we have great customer service, of course, uh, but cu- customer service is not innovation. You know, I mean, like people say, well, you know, what differentiate? We've got great customer service. Well, I think you should have great customer service, but you're, that's not an innovation to have great customer service. Innova- innovation really is something that improves quality, improves the experience, provides more accessibility, uh, not only for your patients, but also for your staff. You know, how hard are they working? Are they focused on really doing their job or filling out a lot of paperwork uh, that doesn't really impact uh, the job? So um, I think, in, especially in healthcare, customer service, of course, is the most important thing, but that's not innovation. Uh, innovation is what do we do to reduce errors, improve compliance, make it easier for people to come see us and get what they need quick and efficiently, you know, um, if ordering something on Amazon was in a one hour ordeal, you know, how many people would get whatever they want? You know, right now you just think, oh, I think I need a new hammer. Boom, two clicks and it's on its way. Uh, but if it was an hour long procedure, I bet you sometimes you could live without the hammer. Right. And um, I think there, there lies the opportunity. I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Bakhtari, uh, I think now would be a great time to go ahead and take our commercial break. And then let's come back on the other side there. And let, let's talk about kind of like some of the the bones of the entrepreneurship side. How does that sound? Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. All Thank right. You. So, yeah. So we're going to uh, take a quick commercial break here. And uh, we'll be back on the other side and continue our conversation with Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. All 
All right, listeners, we are back with Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. All right, so as we were talking beforehand, um, we kind of set the stage for your businesses and and uh, healthcare entrepreneurship, and and you shared the story of kind of what was the catalyst that got you uh, into this realm. Um, and I'm sure once you had that epiphany and you decided to start E7 Health, you're a highly successful doctor. You've got all these resources. It was just super easy. You were able to just start your business and everything was just all puppy dogs and rainbows from jump, right? OMG. OMG. You know, it really was a blind faith you know, jumping into the deep end because nothing prepares you. Uh, unless you were a CEO hired at another company to be a CEO of a company. And um, and I think most CEOs, you know, uh, unless you're with a massive company, most smaller companies, you know, their CEOs have never uh, been the CEO of another company. So it is really like doing a residency or internship. Those are how I view training uh, in becoming a CEO and a leader. Uh, when you first start out, uh, you know, really, really, it's a challenge. You you are you're asked to develop a set of skills that you were never trained for. You uh, you know you could read books, what have you, but it, to to be on the ground and feeling them, it's amazing. So I you know I probably spent the first five years kind of making every mistake you can imagine, hiring, firing, uh, mentoring, but you know you you just learn, learn, learn. Uh, as a, you know, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, just to, I don't want to, I want to give a shameless plug, but because it's, it's connected to what you're talking about. Uh, the second season of my podcast, Bakhtari MD, uh, we call it Crash CEO School. And what I do uh, uh, in that season, which we're going to launch in a couple of weeks, is talk about all the mistakes I made my first five years. And so you don't have to make it because there is no good CEO school per se. And so often you have to learn by making the mistakes, you know, how do you not hold on to great talent when you see it? Or how do you foster, you know, uh, communications? How do you foster growth? How do you get diversity of opinions and people? Um, how do you find the best in people? You know, what, when is the best time to let you know, someone go that's just not a good fit? And, you know, uh, you can hang on to someone too long or uh, you, you could lose someone when you shouldn't lose them. You could, um, you know, how much patience should you have? How much education should you be giving? Um, how, how well should you compensate people for their commitment? And how do you value loyalty, commitment, dedication uh, rather than just bottom line stuff? And so you, you learn to take all that in and calibrate it and become hopefully an effective leader. But it is something that uh, unless you were a CEO of another company and you walk, you're walking to the new thing with a lot of experience, it's a new skill set you're going to have to acquire. Yeah, no, I, I, I love, <laughs> I love what you're saying there. And 
first of all, don't worry about the shameless plug because I, I want uh, to make sure that we get the <laughs> link to your podcast in here. I always love promoting fellow podcasters because I know that the time and dedication it takes to get those things up and running. And, and uh, you know, I, I want my listeners to go listen to it. I, I, I stumbled on it when I was doing research for this and uh, you, you got some good content out there and I'm looking forward to hearing this as well. Um and, and I, but I love what you said there because, you know, it was one of the things. And again, uh, shout out to uh, my good friends at Interview Valet. All my listeners know I, I love what they do. But, uh, you know, in, in the, the prep, they, they mentioned an article that you had written for your blog a few years ago uh, talking about some of these skills, seven entrepreneur skills you need to elevate your business. And I'll make sure that that, that mm-hmm. blog article gets linked in here. Um, but I really enjoyed the, these seven skills and I really like that first one. I think it ties into what you're talking about here, but your, your curiosity and a knack for learning. And, and I think that is such a key piece for any leader, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're, you know, leading uh, a, a Fortune 500 company, whether you're leading two people, curiosity and a knack for learning like those, whether it's learning more about yourself, learning more about your people, learning more about a product, learning more about uh, an entire industry or, or pioneering an entire industry, like. I love that that was your first skill. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I just, I, I love that. So talk a little bit about that. Why did you lead off with curiosity and a knack for learning? Well, because, you know, the first thing you got to understand is if you've never been in this situation, you know, you, pe- people think like if, if you ask, if you ask t- 10 of your best friends, do you have a good sense of humor? What are they all going to say? Because everyone thinks they have a good sense of humor. So they're all going to say, but not all of them do. If someone says, you know, uh, hey, are you good looking or whatever? People tend to attribute things that don't, you know, that sound good to themselves. And I think if you go to some people who become, start their own company or somehow fall into being a CEO saying, hey, do you think you would make a good leader? You know, I hear stuff like, yeah, people like me. I'm good with people. (laughs) That's, you know, you're, you know, a bartender is good with people, <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't make you, doesn't give you the skill set necessarily that a bartender can become. But I would say that the fact that you're nice and good with people does not, is not the skill set. You need to learn a lot more to, because you, you have to understand and calibrate your response. Here, I'll give you an example. You can have 10 staff walk into your office, okay? And you may have to say, give them the same message. Let's say they're asking about the same thing. But you may you have to calibrate how you say it in 10 different ways, potentially, because of who they are, mm-hmm. right? Some you could be more direct. Some you can, you know, you know, be direct, but, you know, say it in a different way. Or some you have to give a preamble to, like, hey, Bill, uh, I w- you know, before I tell you exactly what I want to talk about, I just want to let you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, with that preamble, let me get into it. Some people, you don't need a preamble. You can just get right into it. You know, so, and I'm just using different examples. So these are all things you need to learn. Uh, you know, you're, you can't have one tool in your on your belt, okay, and expect to use that tool everywhere you go. 
right? So if you have a screwdriver on your belt, not everything needs a screwdriver. Sometimes uh, something you know needs a different uh, uh, tool. So I think the the issue really is you need to learn these skill sets. I think leadership sometimes for for people who haven't been in that position seems like an intuitive thing that they can just f- figure out on the fly. And that's not yeah. true. I think most of us who've been there realize that that's just not true. Yeah. No, and, and I like I like what you're saying there because it, it really ties into, you know, the, the second piece there. And, and again, listeners, I'm going to put a link to this uh, article because I want you to go listen to it because I, I like these bullet points a lot. But the, the second piece that you put was effective communication. And it goes back to what you were talking about there. And in and, and the Marines, you know, uh, the, the Army uses this as well. But we, we had a mnemonic uh, JJ dead tie buckle. And it stood for justice, judgment, dependability, integrity, decisiveness, tact, initiative, mm-hmm. you know, going down the list. But tact, right? And how we de- define mm-hmm. tact was tact was saying what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, how it needs to be said. You know, right. and wow, <laughs> and that was that was kind of what I heard there, right? Was because it was what you, you got to be able to say what needs to be said, how it needs to be said, when it needs to be said, and that changes from person right. to person, like like you just pointed out. And if you aren't taking the time and you don't get to know your people, you don't get to know yourself, how you come across, mm-hmm. you, you're never really going to be able to pull that tact piece off well. Um, and 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 the message is going to get lost. You're going to have an you you could be. Uh, I love um, uh, Michael Hyatt. Um, he, he used to tell a story. Uh, he, he's I mean, the name of his podcast just uh, went out of my face or went out of my brain. But uh, he used to tell a story about how he was in a meeting and he thought it was going well. And like at the end of the meeting, uh, his assistant said, uh, you know, what happened to you today? He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, you seem really mad. He goes, I do. I'm in a pretty good mood. And she looks at him and goes, well, you need to tell your face. Right. Because like the whole time wow. his face is like like he had been given these angry expressions, but he thought he was, you know, being happy and relaying good information and come to find out everybody else had interpreted the same way. Something that there was some disconnect. And if you're not aware, you can have an adverse right. impact when you think you're having a positive impact. So. Wow. How powerful yeah. is that? <laughs> yeah. And, and you need to be able to enable your people to be able to tell you, hey, you need to tell your face. Right. Yeah. Right. No, you're right. And the, you, you, that and a thousand other skill sets that you have to acquire. Um, you know, I, I think just off the top of my head, you know, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, your staff comes to you and they tell you one thing, but they really have another agenda that maybe they don't, you know, they're shy or they don't want to really bring to your attention. And, you know, the question is, do you have the skill sets to notice that or just, you know, take it at face value? You know, somebody misses work one day and say, oh, you know, what happened? Because, oh, I had a really bad cold. Well, that was yesterday and you sound fantastic today. You know, the question really is, you know, is something else going on at home that I need to know about? Are you okay? This whole idea of, reading between the lines uh, and not just taking everything. And sometimes it's, it's something you need to know good or bad, but you, you should, you know, and these are skill sets 
that you need to acquire uh, because when you're the when you're in charge, often people don't want to disappoint you. They don't want to let you down. Um, sometimes they're hiding something from you because you know for not good reasons. You need to figure all of that stuff out. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's uh, great points. Great points. Um, and and, and we kind of touched on this one here, but I'm I'm really glad that that you put this as point three, and I think. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe move on to another topic after this. Cause I want to leave enough meat on, on this blog. Cause I want people to go read this cause you, you did a good job writing it, but financial literacy, right? I, I think that is a, a piece <laughs> that, that a lot of people like they catch the bug, they get the dream and, and they, that, as you mentioned with leadership, mm-hmm. like we can figure that piece out. But I think a lot of people think that they can figure the financial literacy piece out on the fly too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, um, if you look at, you know, what really brings down a lot of businesses, right? I mean, you know, businesses have, can have the greatest idea, the greatest product. But if you run out of money, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, if you really look at why certain startups make it and some don't, it's not always because, you know, their their product or service got a fair hearing in the, in the public and it just didn't fly. A lot of times they just run out of money or don't have enough money or spend too much money or not. And so uh, you need to get a handle on that and how fast you grow, you know, how fast you hire, what do you invest in? I read a, a book a long, long time ago and I, the name escapes my mind, but the quote I believe was in something like, uh, you know, a CEO's vision can shouldn't, should never be larger than um, their checking account, you know, what they have in the mm-hmm. bank. And so your vision can't be bigger than what you have. I mean, uh, and then, of course, you, you have to decide, you know, do I take on debt? Do I bootstrap the whole thing? Each one has its pros and cons. And you have to understand, like, for, for example, with E7 Health, you know, we bootstrapped the whole thing. We never took on debt. We never took on investors. And there's pros and cons to that because, you know, our growth was probably a lot slower than if we had. But uh, forget about just giving up equity, but we have control over what we do and the direction we go. So if you don't understand finances, you can't even begin to navigate some of these conversations. Yeah. Well, and and I like that that piece that you said there about control, right? I mean, I'm a big fan of Shark Tank. Uh, I love watching Shark mm-hmm. Tank. But but that's the, the the basically what a lot of those deals come down to, um, and then there was another show called The Profit, and and in the first uh, mm-hmm. few seasons of that, uh, the gentleman that uh, was on that was Marcus Lamonis, and his catchphrase, uh, you know, was mm-hmm. I, I, I he would always want to invest fifty one percent, and then people would always uh, he wanted <laughs> to buy fifty one percent of the organization, but he would be like I may only be fifty one percent, but I'm a hundred percent in charge. And it was right. always about that control piece. And that was always what these entrepreneurs, even though they were struggling with their business, you could always tell that it was that control. Like, this is my baby. This is my idea. I don't want to give up that control. And as soon as you start taking on investors and debt, you have to give up that control because you're giving somebody else say in your idea, right? Right. And, you know, if you're not doing a good job, maybe that is a good thing to give someone else control. So you got to understand where you are and where, you know, if, if you're in over your head and you're 
you need someone else's input or expertise, then, you know, that's, I guess there's a right time to give up control. And it's, you know, it's not always, if you're doing it wrong and you're not the best person for it, yes, then, then maybe you should. But if you are the right person and you have the vision and you're acquiring the skill sets, then you may not want to. Yes, I get yeah, that. 100%. Well, Dr. Bakhtari, we've been chatting here for about 40 minutes or so, and, and it has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I'm just kind of curious, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to touch on so far that you really do uh, want to leave listeners with before we get out of here? You know, I, I what I tell a lot of people who come up to me about, you know, uh, starting a company or being a CEO, uh, just understand that, you know, being in charge of any organization, uh, you just need to work on acquiring, you know, just certain skills, just like if you were going to take up skiing or anything else, you have to go and get lessons and skill sets that you need to acquire. And I would just say that I would just say, uh, it's not all intuitive. And just because you're a nice person, doesn't mean things are going to go swimmingly and to take time out and acquire those skills. Mm, I love it. I love it. And, um, you know, your podcast, uh, your blog, uh, are a great place to go acquire some of those skills. Uh, so I'm going to make sure that, that those links make it on the show notes. Uh, but are there any other places that, that people should go look and find out, you know, more about what it is that, that you are doing, what E7 Health is doing and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, well, the best place to really start is um, my website, you know, E7 Health and BakhtariMD.com. Uh, if you go to BakhtariMD, it has links to, you know, my podcast and a lot of the articles and blogs we've done. Uh, also, if you need to reach out to me for any reason, can do that through the website or on LinkedIn. Uh, and of course, please sign up for our podcast at uh, uh, MD and on YouTube and Spotify uh, and all the other uh, platforms. Uh, we're going to be launching CEO uh, Crash CEO School uh, in a couple of weeks where we cover the whole season of all the mistakes you shouldn't make if you're going to run a company or be a CEO. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for that because I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be a lot of lessons shared in that one. So thank you for putting that out there. And like I said, I'll get all those links, uh, uh, all those links on the the show notes for this uh, show here. So, uh, well, well, Doctor Bakhtari, again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your patience and and all the scheduling issues we had getting this thing set up. I really. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, no, it's it's my pleasure. What it was so much fun though. Uh, this is really uh, an area that you know that there's no good place to go. And I think your podcast does a great job of you know letting people uh, get access to uh, leadership skill sets that everybody in this kind of position needs. So kudos to you for the product you, you put out. Well, it, and, and feeling is mutual. You've been an outstanding guest and I love everything you're doing, but you've just been an outstanding guest here on the responsible leadership podcast. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening, and if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. 
That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.